Hi, and welcome to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. This is our best of episode. We talked to a lot of pro baseball players, coaches, and media members in 2021. By our count, the interviews number around 20. Here are some of our favorites. In spring training, we talked to two players. We enjoyed our chat with A's utility man Tony Kemp about his getting ready for the season, and we're pleased to report that he had his best season yet. In this snippet from our conversation, he talked about developing his batting eye to improve his walk rate and having better self-awareness. You know, honestly, I think what I used to my advantage was, you know, we had a shortened season. So every at bat was, I felt heightened even more. And I feel like being able to come out of a season like last year and have more walks than strikeouts was something that I carried into the offseason that I was able to shrink the zone even more. You know, I'm already a small guy, so my strike zone is not, you know, big to begin with. But that was one of the things that, you know, you have to know what type of player you are. And I know that my strengths are getting on base, stealing bags, scoring runs. So honestly, it was like get on base any way you can. And honestly, it sounds <laughs> it sounds simple, but uh, honestly, just swing at the strikes and take the balls and uh, kind of, you know, not really work toward the, towards the pitcher's strengths, but um, work toward your strengths. And I feel like it paid off for me last year. Now, you had played four seasons in the big leagues before last year and then last year as well. But you really, your numbers were such that you had a little more than a season's worth, full season's worth of plate appearances. How long does it take for a hitter to learn what he typically needs to learn? Yeah, and I think that's the important question. You know, obviously we can talk more about it, but I think the number one answer I give to most guys is every player coming through the minor leagues needs to know who that player is in his own heart and understanding what they do well and obviously working on their weaknesses, but strengthening their strengths. And I think one thing for me, especially when you're a utility player and you're not getting at bats every day, you know, I think it's even harder because you see live, you see pitching, you sit, you get a pinch hit, you come in late in a game and, you know, obviously your batting average is not going to be something that you want to look at. And so I honestly just had to say, you know, the batting average doesn't matter. Hit ball hard, you win. Um, how are you going to help the team win? Are you getting that runner over to third base, runner on second base, one out? You know, what are you doing to help the team win? I feel like that kind of propelled me to be able to stay around the big leagues and just run the base as well and just do, do the little things um, the best that I could. We also talked to Rays infielder Joey Wendell, who wowed us with his defense in the 2020 postseason. Joey talked about what goes into fielding the types of balls that he sees at third base. Yeah, there, there's a lot that, that plays into that, I think. I, I guess kind of what stands out for me is just, you know, is anticipation, just always expecting the ball to come your way, and then and then first step. I mean, and, and the thing about those things is, is they they happen largely before, before the ball's even hit. So I, I think that, uh, you know, as an infielder, no matter where you are, whether it's a third, short, second, first, um, there's so much that happens before the pitch is even thrown in terms of uh, pre-pitch and how you're preparing yourself, where you're positioning yourself, and then also just the mental aspect of always anticipating the ball being hit your way. So I think when it comes to reacting to, to plays like that, it's, it's you know, a lot of it just becomes instinct, but also it's just kind of having the ability to put your body in a position to be able to react to those pitches to physically be ready to physically be in a good position so that when the ball is hit hard to you you're you're ready to go it's not like you're 
you know, having to reset your body to then go make an athletic move so that you're ready to make an athletic move before the ball's even hit. I think for me, probably some of the most valuable time is, is during batting practice. I mean, getting getting live reads off the bat is something that I think is uh, extremely valuable to to me and my ability to kind of get jumps on balls. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't know that I've really had a ton of plays where I, you know I haven't practiced. I mean, I guess there there's some glove foot plays that you don't necessarily practice a, a whole ton of. I remember a, a play similar to that in 2018, where certainly it wasn't one that I had practiced, but you just kind of Sometimes during the game, make the best of what you have, and every once in a while, you get lucky with a nice play. We also celebrated women working in baseball with a pair of people. Yankees minor league coach Rachel Balkovic explained her strength in connecting with players. I don't know if that's even my strength, really. But I would say, what if anything allows me to connect, it's probably being diverse. Um, and I'm not talking about being a woman. I'm talking about having traveled all over the world and been in different leagues. And I mean, now it's like I've worked in professional baseball. I've worked in the college setting. I've worked in the private setting. I've worked in the Australian baseball league. Now I've worked in the Dominican winter league. Like, I mean, there's not a player that I work with basically that I'm not like, Oh yeah, I can relate to you on something. I don't know what it is. It might be music choice. You know, I listen to Latin music. I listen to country music. I listen to, it's, it's like, I'm a just, I'm very much a chameleon and I think that I'm unrelatable in some ways, very much so being maybe it's a woman, but also my level of intensity. And sometimes the way that I, what I require out of players is unrelatable unrela- to be honest with you. But if it's one thing that I can relate to people on, it's just my diverse experience all over the world in different settings and situations. And I think right away with Manny, probably one of the first things was I answered the phone when he first called me, which is before we got to Sydney and I started speaking Spanish and he goes, how did you learn Spanish? Like he didn't even know that I knew Spanish. I'm like, yeah, I'm this white girl from Nebraska. And I taught my, I don't want to say I taught myself Spanish. The players taught me Spanish, but I dove into that from the get go in professional baseball and learned it really well so that I could communicate with the players. So I think it's just being a chameleon and being diverse, hopefully, that allows me to connect with them on, on many different subjects. You know, not just baseball, but many different things. And Orioles broadcaster Melanie Newman spoke to some of the troubling problems in baseball centered around sexual harassment and assault. Um, it's why representation matters. Having not just women, but I I mean, people of all walks of life in multiple roles. And especially when you're talking about a hiring situation with someone, Um, because if you, if you pull a pod of 10 people and they are all exactly the same, they run in the same circle, you're not getting that outside perspective. And that's what we're taught so much, especially when we look at baseball and how different the players on the field are, is having the, the differences, having that diverse background is what makes things so great because then you're starting to pick the good ideas off of other people that you haven't heard in your own circle. Likewise, you're able to have a different set of eyes to pick out weaknesses as well. And you only stand to benefit when you include a more diverse group of people. And it's one thing that I've always been grateful. The moment that I got to know the Orioles organization is you see how many women are in such big roles. And you know that And I've dealt with my share of situations that haven't been great coming up through this industry, but coming to Baltimore in particular and seeing these higher ups uh, who happen to be female, I knew that that was never going to be a situation 
that would worry me here because there is a voice even higher than mine that's going to listen, that's going to take, if I have something to say, they'll take it seriously. And I, I know that the path isn't easier. I think men and women still need to equally earn their right to be in their respective jobs. And that's not baseball, that's in life as a whole. But I know the path is also a little clearer as well to have a different voice come in and step in. And I think it's time that we start taking that seriously when we look at who we're lining up to judge those that are being hired. We took notice on opening day when in his Royals debut, center fielder Michael A. Taylor had three hits, a home run, and impressed us with two outfield assists. Taylor went on to win the Fielding Bible Award for Outstanding Defense in Center Field. He was the best in the game from Game 1 to Game 162. Yeah, um, it's, it's nice getting a fresh start, and KC is a great place to play defense. I mean, the outfield is very spacious, so you have a lot of room to, to roam out there. And then in that first game, I had two balls where I had an opportunity to, uh, to make a throw, and Salvi picked me up both times, making a great pick and uh, putting tag on him. What is it like to, I guess, to throw to him as a target? It's great. I mean, just the extra confidence that you get knowing that you don't have to make a perfect long hop, you know, that he can handle anything that you throw at him, basically. It kind of frees you up to just be more aggressive. Another player who got a fresh start in 2021 was Orioles center fielder Cedric Mullins. That was by choice. He stopped switch hitting, and it completely changed his game to the point where he was an MVP candidate. The decision to go on ahead and drop hitting right-handed was basically solely on the numbers. You know, I had plenty of data at that point to give me an idea of how I was uh, playing at the time and how I might potentially progress, and it didn't show there wasn't going to be enough improvement for me to be as competitive as I wanted to be uh, as a switch hitter. So we decided to drop it, you know, go with my best swing. You know, I still have a, a decent eye to play. It was just a matter of getting adjusted to arm angles, different spins, balls coming at my head and somehow ending up in the strike zone, you know, just stuff like that. And then, you know, the decision to not make it sooner is because of the value that switch hitting has. Like it's, it's something that is very rare. And if you can do it well, it, the value behind that as a player is just almost exponential because it's, you're able to continuously find a way to be in the lineup. Now, just I want to close on this note. Two years ago, you went six for 64 in the majors. You hit 205 at AAA. That's a low point. We've seen guys go low point to high point this year, particularly with no hitters, with Spencer Turnbull, Carlos Rodon, Joe uh, Joe Musgrove, but it's true for hitters too. Can you contrast where you were then with where you are now and what's the biggest thing that happened for you in getting you from there to here? That long stretch of just not being able to find success in the field was mainly attributed to my left-handed swing. Like I wasn't really able to figure out what was going on. And in fact, my right-handed swing that year is what kept my average where it was. If I, I think I hit around 250 on the year right-handed. So if, like I can imagine if I wasn't having success right-handed too, there's no telling what my average would look like and just numbers in general. So it was a matter of stepping back really looking at how my swing was being broken down on video and what my body was doing and how I'm able to go from there, make a mechanical change that works, that didn't feel like it was overdoing anything to just completely change who I was as a player. Because I still wanted to be the guy that was tough out, could hit a ball hard, find a way to get on base, and then potentially have some pop behind it when I got something I can handle. 
So that's that's what it was. It was a matter of looking at video, breaking things down, and then moving forward from there. The best defensive team in baseball was the St. Louis Cardinals, and one of their key defenders was second baseman and right fielder Tommy Edmond. Edmond said he's benefited from watching what many of his teammates do in the field, especially Nolan Arenado. Uh, watching Nolan this year, what he works on a ton is he works on his throws. He works on his throws more than anyone I've seen. And I think it's probably a big reason why he's able to make those ridiculous plays that he has. I think he's got like a pregame routine where he's he's working on like those backhands, like those running jump throws, which yep. I've honestly, I've never really seen anyone work on besides him. And especially at third base, because you have those long throws, I think it's the most important over there. And I've kind of, I've started to incorporate a version of that into my routine because even though I'm playing primarily second base this year um, I've been trying to make sure to go out there like once a week to get ground balls at short and then make those make those throws from short deep in the hole to make sure that my my arm is staying strong and and it makes those those throws those off balance throws from second or any position seem that much easier if my if I know my arm feels good from the hardest throws the best infielder in MLB this season was not Arenado by defensive runs saved, it was Rocky's second and third baseman, Ryan McMahon, who stepped into the void Arenado left behind and excelled. And he learned from the master, too. Yeah, so, I mean, as, as far as watching Nolan goes, man, I mean, he's, he's one of the best, and he's one of the hardest workers. Day in, day out, he's taking his ground balls, he's uber-focused. You know, but I, I think the thing that I learned from him was just kind of understanding how much time you have. He's really good at getting that guy in that last step. He always knows how much time he has. He, he doesn't rush plays unless he has to. So uh, just kind of seeing him play with that and, you know, seeing how he attacks different balls. You know, he sets himself up really well if he's going to go bare hand or go glove. So uh, he's, he's one of the elite defenders, that's for sure. Arenado's former high school mate, Matt Chapman, has made quite a name for himself defensively, too. But he faced his share of challenges in 2021 in recovering from hip surgery. Chapman recovered and won a gold glove. He talked to us about the difficulty of playing foul balls in Oakland and making the play on the hard-hit ball. Uh, if you, you can also go back and check the tape. I have fallen on that mound uh, a couple times. Once I dove over it, and the other time I just completely forgot it was there, and I smoked my toe like right on the front of the mound. And uh, luckily I still caught the ball, but I'm just face plant. So uh, after a couple of those, you learn uh, that you might want to be a little bit more aware. So... The fact that they added the bullpen right there where I caught that ball has made foul territory a little smaller, which might be shocking to some people to think that it used to be a little, even a little bigger, but it's always fun. I think uh, me and Oli are really, really good at going and getting some of those fly balls. So it's always fun for us to, you know, go out there and try and chase them down. So for me, I've always liked catching fly balls, which is weird for an infielder, but I've always seen the fly balls go up and I want to go grab them. I should note that we're primarily a defensive appreciation podcast, which is why I wouldn't have mentioned you falling on your face. So the opposite of that, uh, I've seen three catches this year, a rocket by Sal Perez, where you made a leaping catch, two rockets hit at you that looked like kind of self-preservation, Freddie Galvis and Jared Walsh. Uh, is there something more to those plays than kind of meets the eye? Well, the Salvador Perez one was tough because it, he hooked that ball. I mean, he hits the ball hard. That's a, that's a strong man for sure. And he, he got around that ball a little bit. He caught it out in front and it, I jumped. And as I start jumping it, that ball started hooking and 
I, I timed the jump up well enough to where I could make an adjustment in the air. Sometimes I've jumped too early or late. Well, I, in fact, I think you can see it because your glove kind of goes back and to the side a little bit when you do it. For sure. And the, those other plays, some of those rockets, like you mentioned, uh, Galvis and... And Chad Walsh. Walsh. And yep. uh, I think Jose Ramirez just hit one at me too. The, the last series we played the Indians and some of those balls, you know, you lose sight of them when they're hit that hard, that last few feet. So you kind of have to put your glove where you think it's going to go. And so sometimes I'm just prepared and I'm like, oh, just prepared for that ball to hit me or whatever it is. So luckily I have had to body a few balls up and make the play and still finish the play. But when you, when you get a good read on it, hopefully, you know, it goes into your glove. And I've been lucky enough to, you know, have my glove in the right spot for a lot of those. It's never fun wearing the ball off your chest or off your hands, whatever it is. But, you know, you, being able to have quick feet and a good arm allows you to still rebound and save some of those plays. Another infielder involved in his fair share of defensive adventures was Luis Guillorme of the Mets. He talked about how he prepares for the challenge of the tough play. For me, I was always quick. I worked with our fielding coordinator when I was in the minors, Kevin Morgan. And, you know, it, it, we, we butt ahead a little bit at the beginning. You know, we didn't, we were on the same page, but his thing was you still can be quick. Now you just got to make sure you can be as quick as you can, but still be under control. So everything I've done since then, I think it was about my second or third year in pro ball in the minors is when I started practicing. I still do it up to this day. I go as fast as I can, but under control during practice. Because when it comes to game time, I can always slow it down. But speeding it up is when I get in trouble. I want to go as fast as I can to know how fast I can go in the game and still be under control. I don't want the game to speed up on me. I want to slow it down. Slowing the game down applies to base running, too. The Giants were the best team in baseball in 2021. And one area in which they excelled was in unexpected stolen bases and good jumps. Their first base coach, Antoine Richardson, told us the key is in how the Giants' base runners dissect the field. I think it's, it's different for everybody, right? Because it's different. It's, it's unique to your skill set. And so we, we just encourage our guys to like make it unique to them, right? And I think some of the things, you know, we talk about some, some things that are, are pretty fundamental. Like, you know, we want to know where the ball is. We want to know how many outs there are. We want to get a sign from Mo. We want to know what the scoreboard looks like. We want to scan the defense. And then we kind of want to like run through some players in our mind, all right? And try to figure out like, hey, what are we going to do before this play happens and then i think a lot of the guys like they they take that and then they add to it right what do they need to do to be successful in this situation a guy that has a lot of speed like how am i gonna how am i gonna maximize my speed in this particular instance to help our team continue for this inning to go on a guy that might be a little bit slower like how am i gonna get you know very good secondaries like gain some momentum and like a body emotion stays in motion so i could just flow and and maybe get a head start to go to the next base so I think there are, uh, you know, I wish I could go through them all, but I think there are just like, it's unique to each individual. And there are a lot of little different things that they, they choose to do to make them great. From dissecting the field to dissecting pitches, Angels catcher Max Stassi was the best at the precise art of pitch framing in 2021. He's a scholar when it comes to that subject, born into a family of catchers. He explains. Pitch framing for me started... I would say, so there was a workout that I did in 2008, the fall of 2008, it was at Cal. So I have a family friend, Scott Goldie, who's the West Coast Scouting Director for the Florida Marlins. And he had the catching coordinator. He was over there working out with John Baker at the time when he was with the Florida Marlins. And 
he started taking me through some receiving work. This is back, back before the, obviously you could track it and measure it. Just kind of learned uh, some subtle techniques that I still kind of apply to this day. That was in the fall of 2008 and I was drafted in 2009. And then when pitch framing really took off was 2013 though, for me when the Houston Astros hired Mike Vast and we were, he put together a presentation. Yeah, that was spring training 2013. And, you know, we, they, they started measuring it and video and it's still kind of did know, but they kind of knew. And then obviously nowadays there's, yeah, a lot more information about it out there now. Certainly. Now, when I watched you, and I, I watched probably 20 pitcher, twenty taken pitches or so yesterday, just to try and get a feel for your approach. Some guys are like, you know, bring the ball up on the way up. I felt like very much with you, it was a matter of you're trying to have things with your pitcher where you catch the ball where the target was set. And I'm, I'm curious about how you approach trying to do that and how you approach trying to make sure, A, that a strike is a strike and B, that you're getting that pitch that's right on the edge. Yeah, I think that, you know, my glove load will change. And, you know, obviously you want the ball in between your knees and where exactly your glove is. But, you know, the average miss in Major League Baseball is, I think it's roughly like 18 inches. So you know, there's balls going everywhere and it's, it's a lot of it's preparing for the miss, you know, the pitchers miss. Once you get to know guys, you know, if they have the good breaking ball, you know, where that's going to end up, but you know, if it backs up or, you know, it just doesn't go to the right location, how are you still going to give it the best chance to become a strike? So that's kind of, I try to have smaller movements at times and sometimes I have bigger movements and I don't think that necessarily there's a right or wrong answer to that. You just kind of have to figure out what worked for you and just going through trial and error. Defensive excellence was part of the 2021 Hall of Fame class with the Baseball Hall of Fame's induction of Larry Walker. Walker won seven gold gloves with the Expos and Rockies. We asked him to share his favorite kind of defensive play. The ones, because I, I, I worked on a little different than anybody else, was the ones of deking the base runners uh, on catching a ball when I really had no chance of catching it and, and playing it off the wall. You, know, you see that so many times, and it's usually just a guy throwing his glove up, and there, there's really nothing else involved with the eyes or the body or the positioning. So I really took an art into trying to position and make it look like I was actually catching the ball. I was looking in, up in the sky at a place where the ball wasn't, where a lot of guys look where the ball is. So uh, it, I, I gave that effect of it. And I know there's there's one game, it was actually that 22 inning game in Montreal where I, I deked uh, Eddie Murray and, and, and uh, to not scoring on a, I think he was on second on a, on a double hit to right field and had no chance of catching the ball off the wall, played it and got it in and nobody ended up scoring. And I guess people probably liked that or they didn't because the game continued on for 22 innings. We talked to several major league outfielders about the intricacies of what they do. They largely talked about the importance of getting a good jump. Here's Hunter Renfro, then of the Red Sox. Like I said, I really worked on my first step quickness. First step being as accurate as you possibly can make it towards the ball, toward the flight of the ball, toward the end position of the ball. I think that's kind of what I struggled at when I first came into the league is my route efficiency more than anything is, is, you know, making sure you read the ball first and then making your initial jump toward the ball. And uh, I guess what I really kind of focus on, even in like BP right now, uh, when we go through BP and stuff like that is, is taking the first step, making sure it's accurate and uh, to the point where the, that you want to run. And so, you know, where people get in trouble is you take a step, 
and take it over your right shoulder and the ball ends up over your left shoulder and you turn around and make circles and the ball ends up, you know, on the ground. And, and that's kind of what happens to me when I was a little bit younger in my career. And uh, now I just try to focus on making sure it's the right way and, and try to make sure all my practice is done the correct way. Astros outfielder Chaz McCormick on the value of versatility. I just thought that was more, you know, obviously it's just more valuable. I think being able to be out there in every position is huge. But I, I mean, I think being able to play center field is the most important. I think, you know, corners, you can get away with some things playing left and right. But I mean, if you want to play in the big leagues, left and right field are basically for the big boppers, you know, like the guys that can drive the ball really well. The guys have been in the league for a while, they've been hitting for a while. And I've been playing the corners kind of most of college and, and, and pro ball. So then I, you know, I was like, I'll be really valuable if I could play center field. So they kind of, you know, been putting me out, they put me out there last year, put me out this year in center field. So now um, kind of feels good to basically have left, center and right under my belt, you know, whenever, whenever they need me. And World Series winning Braves outfielder Adam Duvall, who finished tied for the outfield lead in defensive runs saved. We got him on a variety of things starting with in how he plays base hits in order to give himself the best chance to get an assist or hold the runner. So the idea behind that is, you know, I, I don't feel like I have the strongest arm in the game, but I do feel like I'm, I'm very accurate. You know, like you said, playing balls to the backhand side or to the glove hand side, I find that it really helped playing the infield and being able to being able to make those plays one handed and the footwork that it takes, you know, like on a backhand down the line to to be able to plant and get rid of it as fast as you can and be accurate with it. So I feel that having the base from the infield side, having the background of playing infield helped me when I moved out to the outfield. So I was watching a couple of plays. One was sort of tangentially related to that, a play where you threw out Freddie Freeman on a double earlier this year. Yeah. Now that was an adventure with a sidewall, and I'm I'm curious how you how you've learned to deal with sidewalls because it seems like they play a, a large role in in how you field balls. Yeah, so the 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 walls down the line those are the those are probably the toughest the toughest to judge I would say because a lot of fields have angled walls down the line. So if it catches that angle, then it bounces back towards the infield, and then if it doesn't it's rolling down to the right field or left field corner. So, you know, you, you're kind of in no man's land until it, 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 it reaches past that point to where you can judge, okay, I got to go towards the infield or I got to go towards the corner. So I would say that's probably, that's one of the toughest plays I think in the outfield is to, to be able to judge those and make the right call. Because if you, if you predetermine and you get it wrong, you're in a world of trouble. And we look to the future, too, with our top minor league defender, Michael Harris of the Braves. Michael sometimes feels apologetic after his catches, but then he looks at his glove, and he says, not really. I have my nickname on my glove. It's Deuce, and it has a star on it. And on the other side of it, it says, sorry, not sorry. So whenever (laughs) I make a good catch, sorry about it, but not really sorry. We thank those of you who joined us for the 2021 edition of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. We've got plenty more good content to come in 2022. I'm Mark Simon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com 
or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.